This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Talk Radio with Gary Anderson. Took us here 
Dreams Talk Radio can promote your product or service, and it will be heard by one of the largest audiences in Paranormal Talk Radio. Contact us at nightdreamstalkradio at gmail.com or go to our main webpage and use the contact box at www.nightdreamstalkradio.com. In Carter Bouchard's Evidence of an Enigma 1 and 2, he documents and chronicles Sasquatch behaviors from nearly 400 witnesses from all over the North American continent. These events run the gamut, from mundane road crossings to mind-blowing quantum or paranormal skill sets, mind-speak, possible hypnosis, and infrasound activity, to appearing and disappearing from view literally just a few feet away. One family from B.C., Canada, has endured 40-plus years of interactions that continue to this day. The witnesses he has interviewed wanted nothing more than a safe place to tell their stories without the fear of ridicule and scorn dished out by non-believers. He has delivered his riveting personal interactions and those of everyday people whose lives were altered forever in his two books. Quite simply, there is more to these beings than most ever imagined. Sasquatch, Evidence of an Enigma, books one and two. Get them now at www.relichominid.com. Manifesting, Using Thought Forms to Visualize Real Change is a new book by Von Brashler. Von has appeared on Night Dreams with Gary to discuss his book, Time Shifts. His new book, Manifesting, is a practical look at developing human consciousness with focused intent to accurately project thought power with impact. It's based on ancient wisdom tradition in Raja Yoga, with the magic of advanced consciousness yoga, with exercises extracted from ancient sutras. Like Time Shifts, Manifesting is now available in bookstores or online at Amazon or the Barnes & Noble website. A companion book to Manifesting is a February 2021 release titled Mysterious Messages from Beyond. It examines thought forms that we receive from unseen messengers, from ghosts to distant friends to spirit guides. Read Manifesting, Messages from Beyond, and Time Shifts by Von Breschler. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet I ask you, 
Is not an alien force already among us? Night Dreams brings on the night worldwide. Did you know you can find us on your favorite app? And now you can watch us live on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and give us a thumbs up. And now, here's Gary. And here I am. Well, I didn't know if I was going to make it. A lot of my members of my family have COVID. I, uh, well, I fell ill myself. Started yesterday. I might lose my voice tonight. I'm trying my best here to be able to do the show here tonight. But I tell you. It was horrible last night. One minute I was hot, the next minute I was cold. Uh, I feel like I got a real bad case of the flu coming on. And boy, when you get my age, you don't want to go through this. Well, you know, I go through my emails quite often because I get literally hundreds and hundreds a day. And I've been getting, you know, questions like, why do you just talk paranormal? Well, they must not listen to the show on a regular basis because, you know, we don't talk paranormal every single night. This show originally was set up as conspiracy and paranormal. So we talk about climate uh, changes like last night, or we talk about all kinds of different things like eating meat could be bad for you. We have talked about assassination of Bobby Kennedy, RFK, and we have had so many other topics. We've had Chekhov. Remember who played Water, uh, Walter Kinney, uh, who played uh, Chekhov in Star Trek on the show a couple of times. Uh, Michio Kaku, who's a scientist. We cover a lot, and we're not just paranormal. One thing I don't do is I don't really like getting much into the political because it's a no-win uh, situation. One of the emails I just got today, I was reading it. And I wasn't sure if I was going to, well, talk about it on the show tonight. But it came from a gentleman named Jacob. He claims he's a time traveler from 2030. What he says, the Earth will be invaded by aliens by 2027. Then he went on and says a volcano in the Pacific will erupt in 2023. will put, well, Earth into seven days of darkness. And then he claims by 2030, there's going to be a water shortage where people and countries will go to war, neighbor to neighbor, country to country, because there won't be a lack of water. Well, that part might be true. But, you know, again, these time travelers, that was one that was on Tic Tac uh, here recently. They, it, it had pictures saying this is what the earth is going to look like. Unfortunately, if he was 100 or 200 years in the future and he's come back, why is they, why are they still using Polaroid uh, cameras, Polaroid film? You can't even buy it anymore. So they must have brought it back, huh? Why not send a hologram and, 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 and say, this is what the Earth is going to look like? And why are they using emails if they're a time traveler? I don't know. What do you think about that, James? Uh, yeah, I've thought about that several times, especially since you reported that last that one with the Polaroid. It's like, what do you got to use? Polaroids are antique now, not to mention two hundred years in the future. But that's a lot to think about. If they're coming back here, it's like the the ETs that come back. Why not tell somebody with power? Maybe we can do something about these things. I know. Do you think the Earth is going to be invaded by twenty twenty seven by ETs? And they're going to decide. Uh, Disguise the spacecraft as a great big asteroid. 
Oh, but, but that would be a pretty good sneak attack. Now, there's all kinds of theories that have been floating around there that this is going to happen, false flag and all that with these ETs, but I don't know. I don't. I think they wouldn't have to invade. I think they would just have to drop a couple viruses and we'd be all over. Well, we got viruses going on right now, don't we? And that's another thing he predicted was viruses are going to go more rapid one night after another. And that might be probably true. But, you know, everything he says, all you have to do is just go on Google and there you got it all. You know, another thing, you know, like holograms and stuff. You know, we talked with John Lear the other day and he said, like, he didn't believe these jets slammed into the Twin Towers. He said it was a hologram. And, you know... Technology-wise, holograms are really advanced to the point where they look pretty much real. And and maybe, maybe it was holograms that slammed in the Twin Towers. I don't know, because I don't think we've been told the whole truth. You notice after, after the aftermath, they kind of like, the government just didn't really disclose anything about it. And if we want disclosure on ufology, I want more disclosure of what happened with the Twin Towers and a lot of other things that, you know, happened in our country. Anyway, we'll be back with Graham, our guest here, right after this. You're listening to me, Gary, on Night Dreams Talk Radio. Does the Earth have a pulse? A new book by Dr. Michael Rampino entitled... Cataclysms, a new geology for the 21st century, explores this question with new cutting-edge research. Rampino and other scientists have found evidence that the Earth actually pulses with cycles of movements of the Earth's plates, episodes of mountain building, changes in climate and sea levels, and even impacts of large comets. Periods of comet impacts and massive volcanism caused severe mass extinctions of life, including the disappearance of the dinosaurs 66 million years ago. These pulses of geologic activity and astronomical unrest seem to recur on a regular cycle of 27.5 million years. The recognition of these periodic cataclysms has the potential for revolutionizing the geological sciences, as Dr. Rampino describes in his new book, Cataclysms, A New Geology for the 21st Century, available now on Amazon. Hi, this is Val Von Torn of Metatron Power and Light. You're listening to Gary Anderson and Night Dreams Talk Radio. And you are, and thank you, Val. Now, James, what can you say about our guest? Our first guest tonight is Graham Rendell. Now, he is a full-time author on UAPs. He has researched and written on Foo Fighters, which were witnessed in World War II by many pilots and his research continues to this day. Well, Graham, I want to welcome to you, you to the show, my friend. How are you doing? And what's the weather like in the UK? I have no idea because it's completely dark outside at the moment. Gary, hello, how are you? Um, I hear you've got COVID, so commiserations on that. I hope you feel well soon. Well, I'm hoping I don't get really, really sick, I tell you that. Uh, you know, well, yes, it's dark out there, but... Do you hear rain coming down on no, you? No, no, it's it's perfectly fine outside. I can hear an owl flying around, so it's uh, it, it's good hunting weather tonight by the sound of things. Wow. Well, I got to ask you a question. How old were you when you got interested in these flying discs? I was about uh, eight or nine years old, so you go back to about 1973, 1974. Um, I was interested in science fiction. I used to read Isaac Asimov. And- Every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. 
agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A Van Vogt and, and books like that with these nice pictures of spacecraft on the front and my mother thought she was doing me a favor uh, she bought me a book which had a spacecraft on the front thinking it was another one of these novels but it turned out to be a ufo book by brinsley the poet trench called mysterious visitors and that's how i got into ufos uh, because i thought this was sort of science fiction but fact and it was really interesting for an eight or nine year old it was like catnip for somebody who was interested in the cosmos and uh planetary astronomy and the space missions near to the moon and elsewhere it was it was just so exciting uh, i wasn't sure i believed all of it but it was certainly intriguing well do you think shows like it came out of the uk like doctor who and you know let's face it a lot of sci-fi movies from the 50s you know about ufos the one-eyed monster from mars and venus and all the the women from venus which i wouldn't mind i wouldn't mind going to venus <laughs> if women looked like that but did any of that have any influence Oh, yeah, it, ru- it rubbed off on me because I was watching things like Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet and UFO. The- these are all British shows. Um, but then there were, you know, Space 1999. There was uh, uh, all these kind of science fiction shows uh, and all the movies. And this is before, um, you know, Star Wars, but it was uh, Star Trek. The first incarnation of that was on the go in, in on on the BBC in the UK. So, yes, you know, it, it all had an influence. I was-, I was definitely interested in that kind of thing. But UFOs were purporting to be fact. So this was something else entirely. Well, how about that space? Was it 1999? Yeah, space 1999. It was supposed to be where the moon broke away from Earth orbit and um, adventures on a space base. So, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was these kind of thrilling science fiction shows they used to have back in the 70s. Oh, yeah. I mean, I tell you, that really got me really hooked on space, you know, that, you know, maybe that one day we will have that capability. Some people believe some people believe that there's life on the moon, ETs, humans, you know, sharing the moon, and there's bases everywhere on the moon. I don't know if you believe that. I just, that that's up in the air with me. Yeah, um, I'm remain to be convinced, I'm afraid, by things like that. But um, I, li- I like to look at stuff and go, mm, well, there's not enough evidence here, so yeah, I'll move on to the next thing. Um, but, it, you know, I, I, I've got an open mind. So if somebody comes along with a compelling argument or, or evidence that, you know, actually stands up to scrutiny, then, you know, I'm all ears. Well, you know, I had one person on the show here, Graham, back oh, a year ago that claimed there, on the back side of the moon, there was an ET base, and you could see a smokestack and smoke coming out. And I'm going, yeah, yeah and I'm going, yeah, okay. Mm. If, if, yeah, I, I don't buy that either. 
<laughs> no, me, me neither. They've, they've photographed the back, the, the so-called dark side of the moon, which actually isn't dark for one thing, um, and you know they have actually mapped it, etc. So I think if anything had been you know sort of discovered out there, we might have had some kind of inkling by now beyond kind of fringe you know discussions and um, things that can't be backed up with uh, any serious evidence. Well, I think what we need to do is ship all the uh, politicians to the moon. And see how long they can survive with the atmosphere not being there. Uh, and, you know, so you're about eight years old. You got interested in, well, ufology, flying discs, and how about ETs and stuff? Were you intrigued with those? Oh yeah, I was I was I was into everything. So yeah, you know, whether it was um, just the the nuts and bolts of the craft, or whether it was to do with extraterrestrials or even abductions, everything I was actually interested in reading. Because I was like a sponge back then, uh, like a lot of kids, you know, who where they're taking their first steps into sort of critical thinking and you know analysis of things they're not necessarily fully you know, cognizant of. So yeah, it was it was all just grist to the mill for me. I was quite happy to read it all and just lap it up. I didn't necessarily believe it all, but you know, I was interested enough to read the next book and the next book and the next book. So yeah, I went through quite a lot of information in a very short space of time. Now, have you ever seen something that would qualify as an unidentified flying object? 12 or 13 years old, I saw a aeroform um, in the skies near where I lived in near Newcastle in northern England. Um, I was interested in aviation from an even earlier age, from about the age of four. And by that stage, I could recognize you know, most of the major types of airplanes and, and certainly the ones in the region I lived in that flew overhead. And this thing looked, looked nothing like one. It was like a teardrop on its side and it was moving very slowly. It was mostly silver with a, um, sorry, mostly orange with a kind of silver edge on, on the leading sort of edge to it, the, the direction it was traveling. Um, and it just went behind a cloud after after maybe 10, 15 seconds or so watching it. Um, and that was it, really. That, that's my sighting. It's something I can't explain. Um, I've never really tried to look too deeply into it because I was too young at the time to do that. And now any records that might have pertained to it probably have you know, disappeared. I've never been able to find any information out about it. Um, and it's just a curiosity. But it was something that you know maybe at the time sort of affirmed what I was looking at in terms of reading might well be true rather than just dismissing it as a kind of teen, you know, sort of an early teen fad sort of reading all this kind of material. Oh, yeah. You know, I had only one encounter with a UFO mm -hmm. or whatever it was. It was uh, in oh, the desert of New Mexico in the early 70s, I think around 1974. Yep. And I was driving late at night with the wife I had at that time. Uh, I had a job in New Bern, North Carolina, which is on the East Coast. I didn't like it. So we drove nonstop from the East Coast of the United States to back to Seattle, the opposite side of the country. A lot of no-dos to stay awake. And maybe I, I, I imagined it, but I don't think so. Uh, we were driving. It was late at night. And uh, the car lit up inside and all around the car. It got brighter than daylight to the point where it really was intense. It hurt your eyes. First thing in my mind, okay, I was speeding. I'll admit it. I figured, okay, it must be a police helicopter. I'm going to get busted. So I pull yeah. off the side of the road. I wait a second. I open the car door. And the light was so intense, I couldn't really see anything. But what I noticed, Graham, was there was no sound of anything. Mm -hmm. No sound of a helicopter, no sound of anything coming from the desert. It was like in desert, you know, at night you hear things. 
Yeah. Totally, totally absent of any sound. And like within a few seconds, poof, it was gone. So I don't know what I encountered, I, but I'll tell you what, it was scary. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, I can definitely imagine. Too bad they didn't take my wife at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Julie, if you're listening, I didn't really mean it. Yes, I did, actually. Anyway, and so you had that encounter, and that did that get you focused more on ufology then? I think I was probably too young to process it fully at the time. Um it, it it sort of yeah you know, as I said it reaffirmed maybe what I was reading might well be true, uh, but as as most kids you get to have you know sort of fads with things and I probably went on to some other things a bit later on when I was in my mid teens late teens but I came back to ufology I was never that far away from it um, I've always been sort of interested in the next sort of little story that came along and I might not have been completely up to date in sort of the 1990s and really the early you know the first years of the, the new millennium but. I went back to it and I kept going back and I kept going back and reading more. And then sort of, you know, five, six years ago, I started going really back into it. And then, of course, when the, the three videos were released by the, by, you know, by the U.S. Navy or well, by other means, and then the U.S. Navy affirmed that they were correct and the Pentagon affirmed that they were correct, these three uh, FLIR videos from the, from the U.S. Navy fighter jets, then that, like a lot of people, galvanized my interest. It, it reignited it. Uh, to the point of where I thought, yeah, you know, this might be some a time to actually really devote a lot more time. And actually by that time, which is what, 2017, I did actually have a lot more time on my hands to be able to look at things in a lot more depth than I was you know, previously able to do. Well, you know, I, I watched back several months ago an interview of two fighter pilots on that, that first one off the Nimitz. Oh, yes. Yeah. One was a male a pilot, fighter pilot. Yeah. The other was a female. Dave Frother, yeah, and Alex Dietrich, yeah. And it was interesting because they said the way that this craft was up at a certain altitude, and then it dropped down instantly. It, 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 yeah. Yeah, it did that. There's no way anything we have in technology-wise that could do that. Doesn't sound that way. Um, certainly, it, it, it certainly had them completely perplexed as to the kind of maneuvers it could do. But then again, you go back in history and you find this is a pattern. You'll find that pilots, you know, come across objects and lights, etc. That even the Foo Fighters, they were coming across things where you know they didn't understand the capabilities. They were just you know way ahead of what they could achieve themselves. Now, the Foo Fighters, too, could some of the pilots got confused because, you know, towards the end of the war, you know, Nazi mm. Germany was coming out with jet craft, different types. Yeah. Could some of that been confused with Foo Fighters? So they were coming out with jets, rocket-powered aircraft, and missiles. All three things were under development. But how, however, when you look earlier in the war, the same sort of things were being seen. So the Foo Fighters, although they're supposed to be a, a phenomenon which only went from November 1944 to the end of the war, they were actually seen a lot earlier. You're going back to 1942 and even earlier in some instances. And the same kind of things. Now, those, the jets, the rocket aircraft and the missiles weren't in development then. And if they, when they were, they were still very experimental. They weren't flown at night. So they can't account for the things that were being seen by not just the Americans, but also by the Royal Air Force, and in some cases, civilians on the ground, you know, during those early years of the war. Yeah, that does make sense, too. You know, because some of these reported, you know, these craft doing, mm. it, 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 could you imagine you were on a, a, a B-25 or, 
or a Lancer or a B-17 and you have these things going by you like you're just standing still. But the the turns they were making and all that stuff, if there would have been humans in it, they would have been liquefied. Well, that's that's part of the reason why people don't think that there were anything that the Germans could have concocted because the kind of maneuvers that they were they were carrying out and not just um, the maneuvers, but the simple stuff like formating on an aircraft and being able to stick with it, um, even just flying off a wingtip at you know quite close proximity for an extended period of time. That was actually beyond the Germans' capability because they were having difficulty with the likes of proximity fuses with rocket engines for their missile development. That's why they never managed to get a, a service-to-air missile in development, even though uh, into operation, even though they had something like 50 different types of missile under development during the war. The the jet aircraft were not put into service until January 1945 at nighttime uh, as a jet night fighter. And the rocket aircraft that they had were never flown at night because they were too dangerous to fly in the day because of the volatile fields they used. So there's a lot of you know things that people have said are oh, these were just the explanations you know for the Foo Fighters. There were only missiles or there were jets or the rockets. But when you look at it much more closely, and in the book I've read about, uh, I've written about the subject, I examine this in much more detail. And you know you come to the conclusion that these things cannot and were not the explanation for the Foo Fighters. Oh yeah, and you know again you mentioned about how unsafe these fighters were. You mm. know the the odds are when they went to land they had a an explosion. So I mean, well, the yeah. Com- yeah, the measurement comet had two volatile fuels, I and mean, you could put you could put your finger in it, one of them, and it would burn. It was it would it would burn on anything con- you know, on contact with organic, and that included the pilot, of course. Um, but they, they literally land on a skid. They would take off on a jetable trolley uh, on a dolly. So, and then they would they would rocket up at twelve thousand feet a minute. But then the fuel ran out after after seven minutes, and then they glided back to a landing. And sometimes they tipped over on landing. The fuel spilled out. You know, and there was you know really nasty things happened so they were very dangerous to fly in the day they were never flown at night the jet aircraft were developed but they they had problems trying to fly those at night as well through reflections and too much workload on the pilot so they shelled it for a while they tried to build a two-seater jet but it took ages and the first ones weren't fielded until march 1945 so you know this is really late in the war but they were seeing these kind of objects much earlier Um, and not just lights i mean the the foo fighters are generally described as being lights but early in the war they were seeing 200 feet long torpedo-shaped objects with lights along the side, or huge disc-shaped objects, or copper-coloured disc um, kind of apparitions uh, that were fired at by by air gunners, especially RAF crews. So there was a lot going on. Yeah. Now, was there any reports, you know, like in Vietnam and Mm. even Korea, there was reports, especially in, in Vietnam, where, you know, the military personnel would open fire on a ufo for example oh yeah yeah definitely i know we're getting towards your commercial break at the moment but you know when we come back i can definitely talk at length about some of those those cases if you'd like i would like to because you know it was interesting because what i've read is that when they open fired actually then the ufo would return fire back but a lot of the times when they return fire back it was with our own whatever we sent at them would come back towards us. Well, it's a different story in World War Two. There's certainly several cases um, that I've, I've got in the book about various pilots who... All- Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, 
working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Or gunners who open fire at these, these craft or lights, and then what happened afterwards. So, yeah, we can definitely talk about that. But there's, um, there's cases of not just they're mostly RAF cases, the Royal Air Force cases, uh, but they are sort of you know documented. Um, there, there is information, and pilots have come forward, and the crews have come forward, etc. Uh, and there are cases actually in the official squadron records which confirm that these objects were fired at. So it's not just people saying. I fired at it. You know, there are records to confirm this as well. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll touch base with that and we'll get into it, actually, right after this break. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll have Graham right back on. You're listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio. So stay tuned. Does the Earth have a pulse? A new book by Dr. Michael Rampino entitled Cataclysms, a new geology for the 21st century, explores this question with new cutting-edge research. Rampino and other scientists have found evidence that the Earth actually pulses with cycles of movements of the Earth's plates, episodes of mountain building, changes in climate and sea levels, and even impacts of large comets. Periods of comet impacts and massive volcanism caused severe mass extinctions of life, including the disappearance of the dinosaurs 66 million years ago. These pulses of geologic activity and astronomical unrest seem to recur on a regular cycle of 27.5 million years. The recognition of these periodic cataclysms has the potential for revolutionizing the geological sciences, as Dr. Rampino describes in his new book, Cataclysms, a new geology for the 21st century. Available now on Amazon.
Night Dreams Talk Radio brings back Bumper Music Fridays from emerging new bands. If you'd like to have your band's music played as bumper music on Night Dreams Talk Radio, it must be an original piece of music you or your band wrote, and you must give us a release to use it on air. Contact us at nightdreamstalkradio at gmail.com or go to our show's website at www.nightdreamstalkradio.com and click on the message box. Night Dreams Talk Radio brings you talk radio like you remember with your host, Gary Anderson. And that is me. Our guest is Graham, where he's out of the UK. We're talking about Foo Fighters. We're talking about ufology and all that stuff here tonight. Our second guest tonight will be back. Carter will be talking about Bigfoot. So that's going to be later on the show. Well, Graham, you know, what was going on with these Foo Fighters when, you know, our troops, our aircraft were shooting at them? Yeah, so I'll go back to March 1942. So this is quite early in the war. And there was a, a Polish crewed Wellington bomber from 301 Squadron, and that's the Royal Air Force. And they just bombed uh, a target at Essen in Germany, that's in the Ruhr. And they were returning back to England when um, the, the tail gunner, so there was an aircraft with five on board. There was a tail gunner, um, there was a, a navigator, a, a bomb aimer, and and the pilot and, and the radio operator. And the tail gunner, actually reacted to the pilot saying there was a light coming behind them, um, you know, approaching them at high speed. And of course, at that time in the war, anything that was coming behind a bomber would be classed as a night fighter. So the, the pilot said, look, if it gets close enough, then open fire at it, uh, to which the gunner did. And this copper-colored light, and that's all they described it as, it was, uh, you know, it can, this, that's, that's the only description. It absorbed the bullets, basically. Um, they were, the, the gunner fired at it um, and fired at it again, and it just sat there and took the, the the bullets and if that had been an aircraft then either it would have been on fire or it would have been damaged or you know it would have fired back and then the strange thing happened the light then moved around to the wingtip of the bomber and sat off the wingtip and of course the the tail gunner was still able to open fire it as it did this and then it got to the position where the nose gunner well he was actually the the, the bomb aimer he would he could do both jobs um and he opened fire at the at the uh, the light as well because it was at a position where those turret could engage the, the target as well and again the bullets were just going into this light and nothing happening but there was no shape behind the light it was just a light and then it moved to the front of the aircraft and did exactly the same thing and then it shot off in the distance and of course that worried you know the airmen and the crew behind them in the formation of aircraft had seen this happened and they'd had the same thing happen to them but they didn't report it and this story appeared um in flying saucer review in 1962 uh in an episode uh, in an issue of that but there'd been other cases as well spring 1943 in north africa 73 squadron a hurricane pilot on a ground attack mission at night time he was a new zealander and he actually wrote to the uh, aviation minister in new zealand in 1955 after a sighting that happened there giving his account of what had happened to him one night. And he was chased by a light over the battlefield when he was trying to attack German targets. Um, and even before he got to the point where he was going to attack wherever the, the mission he was doing, um, this, this amber light started latching onto his tail. And didn't matter how he threw the aircraft around, it just sat there. And then it got to the point where it, he realized that when he turned, 
there was a bit of a delay for this thing trying to cotton onto the maneuvers he was making. So he managed to get it, you know, behind it, as to, to, uh, to, to kind of phrase. And he opened fire at it with 20 millimeter cannon, which the, the hurricane he was flying was armed with. But again, it, nothing happened. The light just, you know, either shrugged them off or absorbed the bullets or, or whatever. Um, it just st- sat there and it didn't matter what he did, whether he, fl- he tried to evade it or shoot at it nothing happened it just it just maintained you know position uh, off his wingtip or behind him um as he he turned back for base and when he went over the front lines it, it sort of dimmed and, and, and flew off but then when he turned back to try and recommence his mission it was back again now that was nothing like any kind of german weapon back in those days and this is 1943 so all the kind of super secret stuff still was on the drawing board more, more or less but even the stuff that the germans had built nothing resembled this kind of technology and of course, when you look in the squadron records in 1944, and this is before the Americans started seeing the so-called Foo Fighters. So you're looking at September, October 1944. In certain bomber squadron records, you'll find uh, reports of what they call jets or rockets, which were either creeping up or zooming past aircraft, which were being fired upon by the gunners. And there are lots of reports of these. I found loads when I was I was researching the book, and they are literally in the National Archives in London, uh, amongst the various records for the different bomber squadrons. So there were plenty of uh, episodes where these things were shot at. Now there were no retaliation because that was your question before. Um, you know, nothing happened in return. And that was quite strange. So things that happened after the war in terms of the stories about, you know, Soviet and Cuban MiGs being shot down by UFOs that they tried to engage and other stories throughout throughout the years as well. But this might have just been an earlier manifestation where, you know, you could argue that they were just seeing what was happening and they didn't, whatever these things were, didn't retaliate. Well, maybe there were, you know, it seems like a lot of these UFOs, when there are battles and wars, they're mm. evidently intrigued of what we're doing. But, you know, again, in Korea, you know, the military instructed military personnel, if they see this flying disc or whatever, take it as hostile and open fire on it. That was, yeah, the well, it was a war zone, wasn't it? So but there were reports and there were plenty of reports in Blue Book, uh, Project Blue Book, about things that were seen during the, the Korean War. But of course, the same thing was happening in World War Two. Um, when the Americans started seeing the Foo Fighters in the end of November 1944, uh, you know, night after night after night, there were two fighters, uh, night fighter squadrons that were based in Europe. One was based in eastern France and one was based in eastern Belgium. And the one in France were, you know, their crews were seeing these things night after night, these lights that were following their aircraft or sitting on their wingtips. And it got to the point where the intelligence officers started compiling a list. And within about the, the course of about a month of the pilots he managed to speak to who would give him information, the ones who were you know, either too scared to, or thought they might be grounded because they were going mad or something, he managed to have a, a list of 14 separate incidents and all of these strange kind of lights. And of course, he passed it up the chain of command because he didn't know what to do with this information. And his immediate superiors in the 64 fighter wing didn't know either. And they passed it on to uh, 12th Tactical Air Command. And they took the bull by the horns. They went back to the intelligence officer to try and get more information because they hadn't seen this kind of detail before. And when they got more information back, they didn't know what to do with it either. So they passed it on to the British Air Ministry. 
for consideration. And the upshot was about two months later, so you're looking at March 1945, they finally got an answer saying, well, we don't know what this is, but it's probably just Messerschmitt 262s, which was the German jet fighter. Um, but that just belied a kind of, you know, just an absolute, like, just a mismatch of information about, well, we don't even know what's going on here, because it was clear that that jet could not have kind of carried out these maneuvers um, because they weren't even in service when the Foo Fighters were first being seen, and certainly earlier in the war. But there are times when these things were watching battlefields. You mentioned before about that. There was, there was, a, there was a battle called Krasny Bor in, in near Leningrad in um, February 1943, and it was like a four-day-long battle between the Americans, uh, between the Russians and the Germans. And there was an air battle going on above the battlefield. But above this air battle between the Luftwaffe and the Soviet Air Force, there was something described as a bath upturned bathtub watching the battle in progress below them. And a Spanish unit that was fighting on behalf of the Germans, the 250th Infantry Division, members of that unit saw this thing and reported it, uh, watching the battle. So there were things around the world which you know, weren't lights, but they were structured craft. RAF squadron uh, personnel were seeing 200-foot-long torpedo-shaped objects and reporting them over northern Italy. Uh, the American daylight um, bomber um, crews were seeing strange things over Germany during the daylight raids. So there were weird and wonderful things all over the place. And the research I did for the book that I wrote, I came up with a whole load of new information from the Balkans during, uh, during 1944 of strange lights that were going flying around the bomber aircraft uh, over places like Hungary and Romania and Bulgaria um, you know, for, when there were the, our aircraft and the Americans were going after the oil uh, refineries. So there was some strange stuff going on all across Europe you know, during the war. It sounds like it. But, you know, I was mentioning again, like in Korea and Vietnam, Mm. When we opened fired on them, they retaliated and, you know, caused whatever we were sending to them to come back. Well, that us. didn't happen in World War Two. So, you know, that that if that's true, then that was a development from what had happened much earlier on in the 40s. Um, they, they were being fired on, but nothing was happening. And that's that's clear in the reports that I've read in the official archives that these things were fired on upon, on occasions. But, you know, to no effect whatsoever, not to the craft themselves, but also not to the detriment of the of the pilots and the and the gunners who were firing at them. Well, you think about their technology to get here from wherever they're coming from, hmm. from a portal, parallel universe or another galaxy and planet out there somewhere. Their, their technology would have to be so far advanced to be able to get here and to handle, you know, everything from whatever out there. I don't think bullets or anything like that is going it, to, it's like, you know, getting a spit wad and, and shooting at them. It's not going to do anything. Well, if you certainly, if you accept that these things are from somewhere else and, and you know, sort of piloted or, or controlled by something else or somebody else, then yes, that, that must hold water, that they must be so advanced that, you know, they're, in, you know, invulnerable to, to, to our kind of technology. Um, I don't go as far as, like, trying to ascribe any kind of agency or motive or, or identity to these things. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's because I simply don't have enough information to do so. I just know it was a tangible phenomenon and something that can't be explained by German technology. I mean, for one thing, you know, people who say, well, they were just German technology, they forget that the Allies and the Russians poured through German technology, aviation, aeronautical, and other types of technology at the end of the war. There were copious amounts of paperwork, you know, that was re- reports that were written on the subjects. You can find them in, in, the, in, the, in the files in America if you look at um, uh, the National Archives or the U.S. Air Force Historical Records Agency, which I've done. I've looked through these, uh, these files where they go through the, the spoils of war, but there's nothing that they found that could account for these sightings at all. And it's, it's really interesting. You know, again, I, I, I mentioned this quite a few times, but I had a friend who was a vice president of Republic Airlines, which is no longer with us, but they were a big airline. And yeah. during Vietnam, he was a colonel. He used to fly a B-52 from Guam to North Vietnam, drop, you know, whatever he dropped. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one time he said, coming back after he dropped his eggs, that's what he called it. He was on his way back to Guam, and he noticed out of his cockpit window, there was a UFO off his wing. And all and he radioed it, you know, and all the crew members saw it. And he made the mistake. He reported it on the radio, and he was instructed to land. And I'll tell you what, he was told his military career was over. <laughs> Yeah, the, the stigma, you know, people think that the stigmas and even UFO sightings in general started with 1947 with Kenneth Arnold uh, in June 47. But actually, with the Foo Fighters and even in the earlier sightings earlier in the war, the stigma was there then because the um, the 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 Polish crew, the, the pilot, when they landed and they were interrogated by the intelligence people after the, the debriefing session, the first thing that the intelligence officer told them, you know, asked them, have you been drinking? You know, it was that kind of mentality that, um, you know, these things couldn't possibly exist, or if they did, they were German secret weapons. But, you know, there was a realization that even the German weapons didn't really account for all this kind of thing. But that only came after the war when they tried to work out what was going on. And then they found that the Germans hadn't built anything like this. They never found anything. Um, and, you know, that that just and they let it lie because there was nothing they could do about it. But earlier in the war, when you look through intelligence reports, and there are plenty of those which detail a lot of these occurrences, they were classing them as rockets because they thought that they were German rockets. And then when they couldn't account for them that way, they started calling them jets because they thought, well, they must be these new jet aircraft that the Germans have. But then that went by the way as well, because simply, you know, even with the Allied jets, like the, the Gloucester Meteor, the RF jet, or the the P-80 uh, shooting star that the Americans were, were uh, experimenting with, they didn't have that kind of, you know, sort of maneuverability, that kind of speed that these things were demonstrating during the war. 
Oh, yeah, because these things, what I read, too, would speed up at a high speed, go across, you know, the, the you know, formation of, you know, bombers, for example. Or they would, it, and come almost to a dead stop also. So if it's a jet, that's not going to happen. If it's a rocket, it definitely isn't going to happen. You know, a lot of people, you know, say, oh, you know what? The Nazis had UFOs. And that's mm-hmm. what they were. Now, let's be honest with you. If the Nazis had UFOs during this time frame, they wouldn't have lost the war. Well, there's that, but also this is something else I actually went. I devoted a few chapters in the book to um, not just the German flying discs, but there was an Italian guy called Renato Vesco who came out with a couple of supposed um, what they what might be termed aerial flak mines, which are a germ, allegedly a German secret weapon that could home in on um, the emissions from exhausts from engines. Uh, it's all rubbish, of course. But you know, I go into this in deep in depth in the book to try and basically just you know shatter these myths. But the German flying discs, when you actually trace back the information regarding these and where this information came from, you end up with a few people in Germany in the early 1950s who said. They worked on such things, but they never give any proof. And these statements, such as they were, were just published in German newspapers from 1950 till about 1953, 1954. And the story goes cold. You can't trace it back any further. Now, they said, one of them said he was a, um, a, a test pilot for, for and a designer for Henkel, but there's no proof he ever was. Another one said that he was witness to a flight test of one of these vehicles in February 1945 and that he'd worked for Albert Speer's Ministry of Armaments. Again, there's no proof of that either. Nobody's ever been able to find any documentation to prove that he said he was who he said he was. And the other people who came out of the woodwork as well, one said he was a rocket engineer working on the V2 program. Again, no proof of that. So they're all a bit dodgy basically, when you when you look at them very, very closely. And yet people have propagated this, well, I suppose it's a myth, really, over the years, to the point of every time you now look at the Foo Fighters, if you look at enough pages, you'll find evident, you know, people say, oh, yeah, well, they're just German flying discs. Well, I'm afraid when you look at those stories in any detail, in any depth, they don't hold water. Yeah. And, you know, again, too, you know, these flying discs, well, still are going on today. I mean, you know, there's reports where, you know, the military disperses, you know, aircraft to investigate the encringement of our airspace or even probably your airspace and find an object, you know, like like Tic Tac that just just shocks the pilot. I don't, I mean, they they do exist, clearly, but back in those days, the German flying discs didn't. But throughout history, people have seen. Oh, come on, Graham. That's not true. That I mean, don't, don't you get these pictures in your emails like I do of these flying <laughs> Nazi discs? I do, but they're all they're either faked or they're models. Um, there's, there's none that have any kind of provenance. Unfortunately, it's the same as the Foo Fighter photographs. There are a lot of Foo Fighter photographs, mostly from the, from the Pacific campaign, but they've got no kind of context with them. So you can't tell where they were taken, why they were taken and who took them and when. So you've got very little to go on. And there's nothing that stands out to me as being anything strange yet. But in terms of the written accounts and the reports, definitely. I mean, I wouldn't have, wrote, I wouldn't have written a book otherwise to say that this phenomenon, whatever it is, 
is real. But in terms of the things that other people have come out with, you know, in recent years, trying to pass off certain pictures. I mean, there's one famous one where there's a picture of some B-17s in formation over allegedly over Germany with these three lights around them. Now, I found the original photograph from the 384th bomb group, which is the photograph that fake is based on. So you can tell in certain circumstances that people have tried, you know, to pull a fast one. And there are other pictures which I've seen, which people have said, oh, yeah, here's, you know, th this here's a picture of a Mustang with these lights around it. But yeah, but it's got what looked like bazookas under its wings. Well, they never flew with those kind of weapons. So, you know, there's a lot of fakes and a lot of forgeries and a lot of people trying to try to sell people snake oil out there. But when you get past all that, there's definitely a phenomenon there. It's just there's a lot of baggage around it as well, unfortunately, like ufology in general. Unfortunately, you're right. You know, I again, I, I, I'm going to talk about this Nazi UFO that somebody again. I've seen this picture so many times, and it has changed over the years. Blame it on digital technology, because it's so much more easier to fake an image now, and with programs out there. They have really advanced. So, yeah, but you can still always tell they're fake. But this one picture that I got this week from somebody said, look, at here's proof that these UFOs existed here. Look at it. There's all these Nazi officers all around it looking at it. And I go, I know which one you mean. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, yeah, I've, seen I've seen that same picture without with the Nazi officers right there without the UFO there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. you know, somebody dropped it in. Yeah, that's that's what happens. I mean, that picture, that service in the 1990s, if I recall, um, and even then, you know, you look at it, and you just think, yeah, that, that's suspect. I'm sorry. So it's, yeah, I've never found one yet that actually, you know, that I, I don't go, mm, sorry. But, uh, you know, I might, someone might send me one tomorrow where I go, okay, yeah, that one might, that, that one definitely doesn't, you know, sort of, um, that, that, that does intrigue me. But uh, I've yet to see it, I'm afraid. Well, what is going on in your country? Is there any movement to try to get disclosure? <laughs> right. So I, I belong also, when I'm not writing, I belong to a, a group called UAP Media UK. And, and we advocate for well, not just disclosure, but a transparent kind of dialogue between government and the public, but also to try and um, get journalists on board to try and you know come up with credible stories about UFOs and open a debate and a conversation and just for the public at large to inform rather than the kind of sensational reporting and the clickbait reporting that's going on at the moment. So you know I'm part of that effort, but not only do we do that, but we support efforts in this in the United States regarding contacting people like you know congressmen and other elected um, you know um, sort of officials to try and get the conversation going in the public, but also to put pressure on. A, officials and lawmakers for more transparency on the UFO or UAP, as it's called now, the, the unidentified aerial phenomenon on that issue. And of course, that's come out of the 2017 Pentagon videos and all the kind of added impetus that's come out of that. I just don't feel we're going to get the disclosure that a lot of people want. I think we're going to get more disinformation than we're going to get disclosure. And, you know, I was just talking to somebody, Graham, and uh, recently, and they said, well, gee, look at all the new talkings in the Congress and Senate. The, you know, they created all this stuff. And I said, but this has been going on with the Congress and Senate reviewing this stuff for decades. They've had special think, committees. Yeah. I, th I think the difference is this time around, I mean, you know, it, again, it sounds like reinventing the wheel and these things do come in cycles. But I think this time around, there's more of an impetus in terms of the public not 
prepared to take what the politicians say at face value. You have social media nowadays, which you didn't have when you had the, you know, like say Gerald Ford trying to push for congressional hearings or when Blue Book started, you know, people still had only telephones and, and, and letter writing back then. So it wasn't as immediate and people could get away with a lot. And I think nowadays there's a lot more scrutiny and things are quite instant nowadays and people are quite happy to do grassroots kind of um, advocacy and putting pressure on, on senators. Uh, uh, there's two things called the big phone home. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. That's come out of Los Angeles by a guy called Luis, uh, Luis uh, Jimenez um, on, on a YouTube channel. And he had lots of people in the UFO community together on a, like a, a, an eight hour kind of telephone kind of thing. And people were you know phoning and emailing their senators and their congressmen and all the rest of it to try and push this issue over the course of a day. And it may have got some traction, but that was certainly before the, all this, this stuff with the um, National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, and it led up to that. And it was just making sure this issue is in the minds of people who make the decisions. Now, you couldn't do that years ago. Yes, you could write letters to people, but it wasn't as kind of you couldn't get as many people together in a short space of time to do things. And I think that's important nowadays. It might not get the desired results, but it seems to be slightly better than what we've had in the past. Well, you know, that's the whole thing. And if they do give us information, let's say they do, mm. are they going to tell us the truth? Well, we don't know that. I mean, that, that's the, you know, the, the, the $64,000 question. But anything is better than nothing. And we don't have to accept it at face value. But, you know, it, it's, if we get information from them, then it's a start. He asked about here in the UK, we get nothing. The, the, the Ministry of Defence in the UK, their minister is, there's nothing happened for 50 years, so we're not interested. That's the upshot, basically. And yet we know that things happen here. But whether they investigate it and they're keeping shtum on the whole thing is, you know, is another question. Or whether they're just genuinely burying their head in the sands or whether they're waiting for the Americans to, you know, sort of, you know, uh, drop the first kind of release, and then they'll follow because we generally follow what the Americans do nowadays. So, you know, you could pick any one of those, or it might be something completely different. But what we do know is that there are things happening, and the MOD have actually investigated things over the last 50 years, and they've put lids on certain things, uh, and they've had reports on certain things. So it's not a question of them not looking at it, they do look at it like they do in America. It's just that the MOD seem to be very, very cagey and very quiet and just are quite happy for people and politicians across here to say, look, there's nothing to see here, move on. Yeah. Unfortunately, what's it going to take? One to land in a populated area where then the military... Well, you could still or... fake that, couldn't you? Um, you know, that would be like, um, you know, somebody saying, oh, yeah, that's a deep fake. So, you know, you could have something land on, on the White House lawn and get introduced to Joe Biden, but there'll still be somewhere, somewhere in some rural America or, or looking at his computer saying, oh, I don't believe that. And, you know, or somebody in France or in Britain or Belgium or somewhere going, yeah, I'm sorry, that's all made up, you know? So you, you can't, you can't, you can't like, you know, get all everybody on board. There's always somebody who's going to say, yeah, that was just made up. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, you know what I used to say back 30 years ago doing radio? I used to say this, you know, in the news, ETs have landed in Washington, D.C., and they eat brains. But they only eat the brains. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Of politicians. So don't worry. They'll starve to death within three days. <laughs> but anyway. But, yeah, I, it's, you know, I just want to know the truth. I mean, maybe they'll come out and say yes. Then They already have said there is unidentified yeah. objects. We just don't know where they're coming from. And at least we already know that. We know there's unidentified flying objects. Yeah, yeah, we don't know where they're coming from. I want to know if they're off-world or on-world. That's all I want yeah. to know. I mean, in terms of disclosure, I mean, you know, big D disclosure, I mean, the things landing on the White House lawn, I'm not entirely sure that's going to happen because I think if that was going to happen, we would have had that by now. Unless, of course, you know, it, it happens tomorrow. I think we'll get a little D disclosure. I think we'll get this kind of constant drip feed of information and what it may not lead to like the big D disclosure, but I think we'll get to a tipping point at some stage in the future. It might not be in my lifetime, you know, it might not be in yours, but it'll be in somebody's where that kind of overwhelming amount of evidence and information leads people to go, yeah, we need to have this serious conversation now amongst everybody. Or whether something happens, like you, you mentioned about your time traveling friend, allegedly in 2027, that they tip that, you know, everybody's hand and, it land, and they land somewhere and everybody goes, okay, yeah, it is happening. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, who knows? How can they find your latest book? So they can look on Amazon. So if you look for me, Graham Rendell on Amazon, you'll find it under UFOs before Roswell, European Foo Fighters, 1940 to 1945. So that's the title of the book. And that's where it's available. It's available as ebook, paperback or hardback. Well, great. I want to thank you, Graham, for coming on. Because, you know, again, we could have had you on for another half an hour. And I wish we would have because there's more things to this to talk about. But I do appreciate you staying up late or early in the morning and uh, coming on the show my friend oh thank you gary if you ever want to talk to me again you know where i am so uh, that's no problem i've enjoyed my conversation okay thank you very much you take care cheers and we'll be right back right after this you're listening to me gary on night dreams talk radio Take a journey of adventure and discovery for the enigmatic giants of the forests read on the trail of bigfoot by mike dupler The author himself describes it this way. Having found possible Sasquatch evidence, namely trees driven into the ground upside down, thought to be territory markers, led me to investigate this creature in my native Ohio. Several years and many forays into Bigfoot territory, I have found incredible evidence, which inspired my book On the Trail of Bigfoot. Bigfoot is alive and has many fantastic abilities. The evidence is out there for all to see, but... You need to know what to look for. My book will inspire those who have answered the call to seek this elusive creature, the Bigfoot. The truth is out there. Read On the Trail of Bigfoot by Mike Dupler. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and IndieBound.org. Meet the Totally Ninja Raccoons. 
three raccoons who become ninjas because they already have the masks. The Totally Ninja Raccoons books are short adventures with quick chapters, specially structured to encourage reluctant readers. Each book has the Totally Ninja Raccoons encountering a cryptid. The monsters are presented in a fun, not-so-scary way. Hey! I said not-so-scary! Readers are encouraged to do their own research and make up their own minds about the possible existence of Bigfoot, the Jersey Devil, Aliens, and more. The Totally Ninja Raccoons are available on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. You can buy autographed copies direct from the author at kevincoolidge.org. That's kevincoolidge.org for the Totally Ninja Raccoons. Are you searching for deeper answers when it comes to experiences with the Sasquatch and other cryptids? One man who seems to be taking that deeper dive is Ron Moorhead. His incredibly clear, scientifically vetted Bigfoot Sierra sounds will send shivers. In addition to these recordings, he's written two books, Voices in the Wilderness, which is the chronicle of interactions that went on for years up in the Sierra Nevada mountains, and then his latest, The Quantum Bigfoot, where he bravely goes where others fear and takes it head-on, again backed by science. The disappearing tracks, the pixelated images, and the screams in the dark. All of this and more can be found at ronmoorhead.com. That's www.ronmoorehead.com. Are you into the paranormal? Then you have found the right place. Night Dreams covers the topics you want to hear. And Gary always has a great guest to take you for a real ride in talk radio. So, buckle up and let's go for that ride with Gary. And I'm here. I think I'm losing my voice now. I tell you what, you do not want to get this virus i'll tell you it, it really really wears you out fast james who's our next guest and what are we going to be talking about well our next guest is carter bouchard and he has been an investigator for bfro for the last 11 years he has interviewed over 350 people and he has published over 100 reports on bigfoot encounters carter is also an author and is a boots on the ground investigator well, Carter, welcome back. How are you doing, my friend? Pretty good, Gary. Uh, as long as you lose your voice and not your mind, all is well, just mm-hmm. so you know. Uh, I could lose my mind as long as I don't lose my voice because that's what pays the bills. I mean, you know, what? I, I couldn't get any more flakier than I already am. So uh, you've been staying out of trouble? Uh, pretty much, yeah. I, you know, I'm Hiding at the house, writing books, and uh, doing research, taking calls from people that are just out of their minds with stuff going on all around them. Well, Crazy. do you have any cool reports you can tell the listeners of some of the new sightings that you might have got? Oh, yeah. I've I've got a, a plethora of those. Uh, just depends on where you want to start. You know, uh, I've got a gentleman in Canada that uh, contacted me about a year and a half ago when he heard me on a podcast and nobody else would talk to him or not for very long anyway. Uh, and, uh, he and his father, 
who has passed about six, seven years ago, have been uh, having Sasquatch interactions for 45 to 50 years. Wow. And it, it's, it sounds quite similar to the 50 years of Bigfoot uh, from uh, Janice Coy Carter, uh, but his work is often as theirs, where his would go on for a day or two or three or four, maybe up to a week, then it would stop for a couple, two, three months, maybe for a year up to, and then it would start over again. And uh, But it, it was never ending. It, it, was, it was always a surprise waking up every morning, going to bed at night, not knowing what was going to happen, and knowing that he had no control over what was going to happen. So... Uh, it's just it's just fascinating stuff. I've got people calling me left and right with paranormal slash quantum type events with the Sasquatch beings, uh, much like Ron Moorhead, you know. And uh, Ron was kind enough to uh, do commentary in my first book, and actually I did an interview with him not too long ago. So he and I are on kind of the same path, same track, uh, just bizarre stuff i don't know where do you want me to start I well mean, uh, let's start off with the bizarre stuff then we can get into the more serious stuff okay <laughs> well uh, uh my guy up in canada uh he has uh back in the 70s i believe mid 70s late 70s um he was on a tree planting crew up in uh, british columbia so, uh, and according to him, you know, the uh, the Canadian government's not been really uh, adept at repairing the uh, lumbering and uh, cutting down of trees. So he was on a tree planting crew that was taken up into the deep, deep, deep woods, 12 men. They split up into two groups, and uh, his group was uh, let off in this one little area that had a clearing, and uh, they were had their trees, little little saplings, and they took them in, in pouches on their shoulders, and they were going out planting trees. And the other six gentlemen ran up past them. They went over this big, long hill and back up into the deep, deep woods because they were all macho hunters, and they wanted to see if they could perhaps encounter some game to maybe go uh, you know, hunt later on. So my guy and the five other gentlemen he was with they saw hundreds and hundreds of bare footprints in this area they were supposed to start planting. Is about a 35 by 50-yard square area. Now, I could ask you a question. The, Carter, are these type of bear uh, the type who would like to have lunch with these guys? Do I have lunch with no, them? No, no. The guys out there planting, you know, the trees. With all these barefoot, in, uh, in you know, uh, footprints in the ground, were those the type bears that would have liked to have lunch with the, that crew? Uh, yeah, type of bears like in in barefoot human-like prints. Well, they uh, would like to eat the crew members. Yeah, they would. They would probably uh, attempt to. I think they attempted to with the six guys that went over the hill. I'll fill you in on that uh, in a second. So they're walking around and they're seeing all these prints that were anywhere from six to eight inches to 22, 24 inches all over hundreds of prints. And there were trees that had been eaten and there was saliva dripping from these trees. So these, the Sasquatch were there just 
moments before their crew van pulled up and they interrupted them. Uh, they were, uh, and then suddenly the men became giddy, euphoric. They were running around uh, like they were just crazy, uh, tripping, stoned, whatever. They were just delirious, running through, uh, just giddy and happy and laughing and and just so excited about all the things they were seeing, all these footprints, and uh, uh, they. They couldn't. They couldn't believe what they were seeing, and so they went and looked. And there were some bushes and trees that had been pulled up, and the root systems had been exposed from digging in the side. And he crawled in one of the big caverns that was created when they, the Sasquatch had been digging these root balls out. So the kids, they figured, the juveniles could be eating off of these root balls. And like you said, when he got in there, there was saliva dripping off of the roots as though they had just been interrupted. There was dirt that was filling back into some of the footprints that they had just left, and there was dirt that was just kind of on the side of the print that was filling back into the print, so they had just interrupted a good group. They figured six to ten uh, Sasquatch. Now, the guys that ran up in over the hill, the macho hunters that wanted to have a different experience, uh, they heard all of a sudden screaming and yelling uh, over this hill, and they saw these 100-foot trees starting to sway back and forth. There's no wind, but they saw these trees swaying back and forth, and these men were screaming and yelling, and it got louder and louder, and these guys came running over the hill, and their hair literally was standing on end. Some of them had very long hair, like foot long, foot and a half long hair, you know, hippie hair like I used to have back in the 60s and 70s. And it was as if you had put your hand on a Van de Graaff generator and <laughs> the, their hair was standing literally on end and it stood on end for an hour. It could not be laid back down. They, uh, and when these guys came running back over the hill, the foreman got them all together, wanted to know what the heck was going on. Why are you wasting all this time? You're not planting the trees. What's going on? And the guys told him the story. Well, he said, you get your butts back in the van. We're driving to the, uh, to the headquarters here, and we're going to tell the boss what's going on here. And long story short, in the 30-minute drive it took to get there, those guys' hair never relaxed. You could see the goosebumps uh, on their hair and their heads, and it was sticking straight out like you'd had five gallons of hairspray on them. <laughs> and so when they told the story, they each told their stories individually and as a whole to the to the head guy, and he basically told them, this never happened. You say nothing. You say a word. You'll never work in the forestry business again. I can guarantee you this will haunt you forever. This never happened. Say nothing. And so that's the story in a nutshell. It's much more involved. There's a whole lot more very finite description of the footprints and the things that they saw and sensed. And, and, and the guys that had their hair standing on end, they never saw a Sasquatch, but they knew that's 
what was after them. That's what was chasing them out. And uh, so that's that's a pretty good story. You know, of course, you have to have a, an open mind and a little bit of an imagination to, to try to, you know, to listen to that without snickering. But it happened, you know, and uh, it, it's it's proof. I won't say proof, but it is an example of you say nothing or you will never work in this field again, just like they used to say in the UFOs with airline pilots and military people. You don't, this didn't happen. You didn't see it. Uh, if you want to say something, you're out of a job. Well, you so, can you imagine, though, get all this skin to tighten up that much. They would have had to been so terrified. I mean, let's face it. When you hear a Bigfoot scream close up, it scares you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've heard it. Yeah, yeah. And and then if you see these trees swaying without any wind, you're hearing these screams, and then you know the saliva, the whole the whole thing. I mean, I would be terrified. I wouldn't even go back in the woods. But that's just me because I won't go back in the woods. But I, I tell you, there's there's things out there, and you know, again, a lot of people, Carter, you know, say ah, they don't, they don't, they don't exist, but they do. Oh yeah, they do, and you know, and I've I've talked to so many people that have had no belief system or casually pay attention to it every now and then, but they think nothing of it, and they go into the woods, and their life changes forever when they have a Sasquatch encounter. Some of them are very mild encounter. Some of them are mind-boggling. It shakes them to their core. They're devastated their whole belief system is totally shattered and you know if if your your life is upset that much by something like that you're going to be a different person for the rest of your life and uh, i've talked to a lot of people and some of them break down i mean they're they're definitely affected and devastated by some of this stuff when especially when it gets into the paranormal quantum type stuff so well you know here's the thing you know i've known people that claimed when they go out in the woods they could sit there and then their mind and manifest a bigfoot and then the bigfoot would talk to them and send orbs to them back mm-hmm. and back and forth i don't know if i buy that because you know my experience of what i seen was flesh and blood and i didn't get any orbs I, mm-hmm. I got screamed at, I got chased, and I got the smell. That's what I got. And plus, I went home with a damaged car. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be, uh, number one, would be uh, the eye of the beholder. Number two, I think these creatures, and I wanna really don't want to call them creatures, they're beings. I, you know, I believe them, you know, like you, I believe them to be flesh and blood, but I think they operate maybe on two different planes. You know, if they're interdimensional and can change your vibrational frequency, then they can operate in both planes. They can, you know, on terra firma, Earth, they can operate within our physical scientific system, and they can operate in the system that we maybe just don't understand or don't believe they have right now. And I think some people are chosen to interact with a little deeper than others. Some some just want to run you out of the woods and get out of my my house and get out of my place and, and run you off, and others do want to establish some kind of communication. Uh, you, you, I used to be the, the flesh and blood guy until I saw one just kind of vanish uh, on my thermal camera one night when I was leading an expedition for BFRO here in Missouri, and that changed it all. I mean, it just it changes everything. I can't explain it necessarily, but 
it happened. I saw it. It's my reality. You can't take it away from me. So then what do you do with it? You know, do you try to expand on that experience by, like you said, calling one out, uh, meditating and trying to communicate with them or just go out into the woods and see if it happens again? And uh, it's a confusing situation to be in. Absolutely. For sure. Um, well, it, it it is. And, you know, again, you know, we've had Michio Kaku on, which, you know, is claiming that we're very close to, you know, cracking the fourth dimension. And mm-hmm. if we crack the fourth dimension, that means then things that we think are impossible, like ghosts, could actually yeah. be, you know, entities from another dimension that we classify as ghosts. And portals would exist in the fourth dimension. So maybe these creatures can travel. Maybe they have, the, maybe they don't have the technology, but maybe they have the ability. Maybe they're in between yeah. dimensions. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Well, here, here's here's a concept that you know we as humans, every human on the planet, you, me, everybody else, your parents, your parents before you, uh, we are taught from the moment we exit the birth canal how the world is what's real what's not there's no sasquatch there's no ufos and there's no ghost and there's none of this so the teacher who taught 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 you go back eight generations that's 200 years of disinformation at 25 uh, 25 years per generation so that's we're the, the teachers are handed a book Teach kids this. This is the book. You have no say-so in the, in the material in the book. Just teach them reading, writing, arithmetic, and science and history. So we're already taught how they want us to see the world with, you know, history and science and everything else is all printed out in the book right before us. So that must be the Holy Grail. So when you suddenly see something that contradicts that and counteracts everything uh either you ignore it and just go well it must have been uh you know i had a bad taco for dinner or it was uh you know a guy in a ghillie suit or is a swamp gas or whatever uh if you don't question that you just go on about your life and think nothing of it but if you start questioning it then that's when you start coming up with answers and you have more questions and here's the deal you know uh the government our lovely government and the education system and social media, there's no such thing as UFOs. Oh, wait a minute. We've been lying to you for 80 years. Yes, there is UFOs. We've known it. We've just had to protect you. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the same with Sasquatch. You know, they're, they're protecting it and keeping it quiet as long as they possibly can. But our technology and DNA testing is going to catch up. And they're going to probably give us some lip service with Sasquatch as they have with the UFO thing. You know, they... Give us a little bit of information on the Tic Tacs. We'll get back to you. We shut everybody up. Well, they do exist. We didn't build them. Somebody else did. And we're good. We go about and do our jobs, have kids, and go to school and do our thing. So uh, so we're taught how to think. And when you see something that you're taught can't exist, what do you do? You, you blow it off or you investigate or or think nothing of it and go back to business? I mean, which is it? You know? Well, here here's the point. If the government came out today 
and said, yes, they're UFOs, and they're off-world, and yes, they're ETs, and yes, they're abducting a certain amount of people, and they're doing cattle mutilation, that would freak people out. If they came mm-hmm. out today and said, you know what, Bigfoot do exist, well, here's the whole thing. Everything we learned in school, everything you read in the Bible, is now going to cause problems, because it's going to counter you know, act everything that you've been taught since you were a child. Mm -hmm. Evolution. Well, maybe Adam and Eve didn't exist. Maybe, yeah, it it opens up the field, and maybe that's what they they don't want the truth out. Uh, You know, they probably don't, but they created this world. And, you know, to those who lie come come the just rewards, because it's going to come unraveled. You you know, you, you... to tell to perpetuate a lie you have to tell another and another you know how that works and so it when you stop lying and just admit it you know the initial shock is going to be something but then people get over i don't think people have thought that much about the ufo thing i don't think they think it's that big of a deal we can't be the only people in the universe we can't be you know i mean oh come on carter there is people (laughs) i hear it all the time after my show i'll get emails Oh, come on, Gary. We're the, we're the only life. Come on. I'm not the only person, you know, with a tent in the campground. There's got to be, you know, when you think of solar systems, galaxies, and planets, mm-hmm. and, and there's got to be more life than just what's on our planet. We're very naive to think we're the only ones. The same when it comes down to the Bigfoot or other cryptics, okay? I'm not saying every cryptic mm-hmm. we hear about is real. But, you know, I, again, if you've seen a Bigfoot, you know they exist. And, yeah. you know, and, but here's the problem. 20 years ago, if you sat there and said, you know what, I was abducted. Even now, I was abducted by ETs. I was taken on a, a craft. People, a certain percentage, are going to think, what hospital did he escape from? Mm-hmm. Or the same thing. Well, I saw a Bigfoot. And it sent me love and orbs and said hi to me. Okay, here's another nutcase. That's what the problem is. But, you know, there is a lot of people out there that have seen these things. Seriously, like yeah. Christopher George has been on my show quite a few times, was a, a law enforcement ranger for the forestry mm-hmm. system. And towards the end, when he retired, he was actually in charge of a couple areas for the forestry system. He's mm-hmm. seen things out there that would make your hair stand up just like those guys going over that that hill i mean mm-hmm. there's things out there that we can't account for what they are that's absolutely correct it, 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 it's so correct and we we just we can't imagine it and you know we have we have lost touch with probably some powers that we had long ago we have improved the world. We have technologyed ourselves out of being in touch with the universe. We can't even see at night. We have to have goggles and glasses and flashlight. We can't do anything at night. Any animal can see better than we can. We have no idea really what's going on around us. We see very little of the light spectrum. Any insect can see more than we see. I mean, we're at, at the mercy of, of the planet. But, you know, I've talked to 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of witnesses. I've you know I've been with BFRO for 11, 12 years. I've, I've interviewed probably about four hundred people. I've got a hundred reports published, and these people started telling me these things after they called in about their regular report. You know, the Sasquatch crossing the road, and and you know, or a typical thing. There was one watching me fish across the river. I could see it, and we were looking at each other. Then it walked off. You, you hear those reports all the time, and they're they're impressive, but they're you know we're kind of jaded. They're not as dynamic as they used to be until it happens to you. But at the end of this conversation, these people will go, now, if you got some time, I want to tell you something you're probably not going to believe. And so I'm going, okay, you just told me about an encounter with a creature that most say just does not exist. And now you're going to tell me something I'm not going to believe. So go for it. And these people have started telling me of these esoteric abstract events, you know, mind speak, cloaking, disappearing, uh, things of that nature. And what do you say to that when, when person after person after person who doesn't know the other people, they don't want their name out. They don't want any money or publicity. You know, uh, I put them in my books, but they're all their names are fictionalized as are their locations. But they want nothing. They just want to get it off their chest. They've been devastated. And well, they're carrying this around, you know. Well, Carter, you know, it was many years. My encounter was in the early 2000s. I kept my mouth shut because when I came home and had to explain to my beautiful wife what happened to her new car. Mm-hmm. And she, till this day, she doesn't believe me. I mean, that's the type of thing, when you sit there and say, oh, I had an encounter with one of these things, Uh uh-huh, sure, what were you smoking, what were you drinking? I know what I saw. I know my friend, who's a medical doctor, he was with me. He He was terrified because he was just opening up his first medical practice after, you know, he, he did his internship, and he, his father was, and his brother were fronting him the money for this, you know, medical clinic in Puyallup, Washington. And and mm-hmm. he, he was scared. The first thing, when we, we were so shook up, we cut our trip back short. I mean, we yeah. after that encounter, we, we're going home. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. Mm-hmm. You know, we just didn't do what we were going to do. And we we lost our, we had a good friendship. But because of what we encountered, we came to the conclusion we can't talk to each other anymore. Because mm-hmm. if we talk we, and stayed friends, we we're going to end up slipping the beans. In his case, yeah. who's going to go to a medical doctor who claimed he was chased and almost killed by a Bigfoot? A lot of people well, aren't. Probably not a lot of people. A lot of people aren't going to be knocking on his door to, you know, be yeah. checked over. 
again, you know, my reputation. I, I kept my mouth shut for years. And finally, mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you, I've heard everything when it comes to Bigfoot. Oh, you know what? Bigfoot are here only to give love. Well, maybe they do. But then again, I, I, I look at the other side. I think they could be aggressive as hell and, and just like people can be. And if you're in the yeah. wrong place at the wrong time, you might not come back. That's what I have said to people. What astounds me, Carter, is the idiots, the idiots that go deep in the woods. Okay, I grew up going backpacking 5, 10, 15 miles out in the woods with my family. And we would camp out in the middle of nowhere. And, and, you know, we always carried weapons. But I get these people on, I'm a Bigfoot hunter. And okay, okay, what do you carry with me? I carry a camera. Well, what else do you carry? Oh, I got a little three-inch jackknife with me just in case, you know. I, Mm -hmm. I look at them like, you're a moron. Because yeah. even if you don't run into a Bigfoot and you have a bad situation, there's cougar, there's mountain lions, there's bear and other things out there, and including yeah. other crazy people out there. And what are you going to do to defend yourself? Say, oh, I'll throw a rock at you. Mm-hmm. I'll hand them a flower. Yeah. Well, that you doesn't know, work. Let's, let's- be peace. Let's have, let's let's be peaceful. Yeah. No. I I, I pack heat. I, I carry a weapon at all times. And, you know. And uh, I didn't at first. Uh, and what the, the one the one predator in the forest you forgot to mention was humans. Yeah, so that's we what I just into, said. The crazies out there. Yeah, we ran into drug dealers, and uh, they came up to us wanting to know what we're doing. And they were they both had big pistols on their on their belts, and they had their hands on them they were packing them and patting on them and saying well what are you boys doing here you know and that day on and that was probably 10 years ago 11 years ago i've i've carried a weapon at all times since then uh not to be aggressive but to be protective you know yeah because you don't know what's out you really don't know you know and you've got a, a cougar or a bear that's hungry or got kids and cubs and you know you, you're 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 screwed you're in you're in big trouble. You're you know? dead. Now, hey, our time is up unless you can hang on for another 15 minutes. I'm good. Okay, let's take a little quick break. We'll be back, and we'll talk more about Bigfoot and, and people's encounters and all that. You're listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio. we got a little bit of bonus uh, time here tonight, so we'll be right back, so stay tuned. Meet the totally ninja raccoons. Three raccoons who become ninjas because they already have the masks. The totally ninja raccoons books are short adventures with quick chapters, specially structured to encourage reluctant readers. Each book has the totally ninja raccoons encountering a cryptid. The monsters are presented in a fun, not so scary way. I said not so scary. (sighs) Readers are encouraged to do their own research and make up their own minds about the possible existence of Bigfoot, the Jersey Devil, aliens, and more. The Totally Ninja Raccoons are available on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. You can buy autographed copies direct from the author at kevincoolidge.org. That's kevincoolidge.org for the Totally Ninja Raccoons. Night Dreams Talk Radio. After Dark wants to give a big shout out to all the truckers that listen to our show. 
Digital Broadcasting Radio, like it should be. The best in paranormal talk radio, with your host, Gary Anderson. I'll tell you what, you don't want to get this virus because all day long I've been feeling myself minute by minute getting sicker. But I know that if I quit now, I'm going to crawl into bed and just who knows. But, you know, that's the whole thing. You know, uh, Carter, a lot of people risk their lives or lives of their loved ones going out there. You talk about drug dealers, you know, growing whatever they're growing or the moonshiners or who knows, or the nutty people, Mm -hmm. or if you run into a bear or something else. And what do you do? If you you have a cougar or mountain lion, depending on where you live, decide, Hey, your dinner. And what are you going to do? You're going to sit there and scream at them. They're going to look at, okay, well, you know what? I'm still hungry anyway. Yeah, he put up a good fight, but he was tasty. Yeah, and, and you know how many people go missing in the National Forest. A oh, lot. yeah, that's a whole other story right there. <laughs> yeah, and I, again, I, I think maybe some could be Bigfoot. Maybe some could be everything what we were talking about. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. a, again, when I had Christopher George on, I asked him this. Why don't we find the remains of Bigfoot? And he came back and said simply this, if I would go out and die in the middle of the woods, within a week, my body is going to be torn apart. It's going to be over there. It's going to be carried off over there. And then within a couple of weeks, even my bones are going to be gone. And occasionally yeah. they find the skull mm-hmm. somewhere else, but not, yeah. not in this location. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, you know, you, if you ever watch the, the show of the Body Farm, you know, they put cows and, and human cadavers, donated, you know, uh, bodies, and you know, your body does it's dispersed. You know, the bones and everything, and it it, it could take five to ten days, and you're done. It's gone, and so there's no trace of you. Yeah, you well, know, the Body Farm to- though is in a situation where you know you don't have all these critters coming around and decide, oh look, I, this is dinner. So they mm-hmm. they run off with your leg and arm, and, you know, the next thing you know, yeah. your body is gone. That's it. Mm-hmm. They might find your hat. Yeah. Well, I believe they bury their dead uh, when possible, uh, you know, in places that just can't be found. And uh, I've got a guy here in Missouri who has told me that uh, he has caves on his property, and they roll massive boulders in front of the cave to seal it up when they leave for a few months and they come back and roll those back and they, they live in those caves and there's always a watcher watching. So, uh, you know, you're never going to catch them off guard. You just won't. And they're too smart for that. Well, how so, about, you know, I was going to say, how about the Bigfoot people out there? They claim that there's a certain group of them out there. They claim that Bigfoot eat their dead. I've heard of that. I have not seen or heard of any of my witnesses that have witnessed or even speculated on cannibalism. Uh, But I can see it if you get into their social structure. Maybe there is something about eating the dead that completes the transition from life to death and you're absorbing some spirit i mean if you get into the you know native americans they never were uh, accused of cannibalism uh it might stand to reason because food is hard to find sometimes but other than that uh i've not 
I've heard it rumored, like you just brought it up, but I've not had anybody who says I watched one eat their their baby. You know, I've I've, I've not heard it, but it does come up. It's you can't say never because we we don't know. You know what what they think about something of that nature, eating their dead and their relatives. And well, I, don't I, forget, you know. it, there's tribes in Africa, even today, when they believe when their loved one dies. By eating the flesh of their one that just died, mm-hmm. now is now part of them because they yeah. ate part of them. So mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, this you know, I, I would love to see the remains of a Bigfoot, a skull, or you know, a thigh bone or a foot. I, I think we really need that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm convinced the government has that they know full well what's going on with them and we're just not privy to that information uh, as of yet and, and and going to my witness up in canada who was told you didn't see this this didn't have you say a word this probably happens countless times you know in, in forestry crews you know the government the forestry service the lumber and paper companies they have a lot to lose uh with the discovery of a, you know, quote unquote, missing link or a relative of humans or however they're going to be classified, uh, they would shut down those forests. Look what happened when they found that, what was it, the Iberville woodpecker? They shut down forests for a long, long time in California uh, to preserve the habitat until they could relocate them to an area where they, were, they could multiply and live and not be in the way of the paper and lumber stuff. So, you know, there's money. You got to follow the money. If, if those creatures are living in the in the deep, deep woods, and uh, you're making money off of their habitat, uh, you're going to preserve that information at all costs. Because you know, money is the root of all all that makes the world go round. So it's uh, it's a double-edged sword. It's a it's a it is a merry-go-round. It's just it, it's it's a ridiculous circle uh, of life that. It continues with the disinformation uh, about these beings, you know. I've seen one disappear on my thermal camera. I watched one, and it just vanished. It just, poof, the heat signature just disappeared. I was 75 feet away. I've watched it, and I'm going, okay, that's it. That's another thing in the, in, in the books that tells me there's something more to these creatures. I wasn't stoned. I wasn't drunk. But I have very nice, expensive flare equipment that was working perfectly. There was no malfunction. I saw what I saw. And so what do you do with that? You know, I'm, I'm a rational, sane person. Uh, you know, most people will tell you that. Some might not, but <laughs> most well, people will tell you. Carter, did you get drunk after you saw that, though? No, I didn't. I, I thought about it, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, I was with a conservative bunch of people, and so uh, I, I really could only say something to a couple of guys because they wanted to know why I was so gasped. I was gasping. I was going, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And, and, and so I had to kind of quickly change my tune because I was with some people that were uh, dead, set, flesh and blooders and uh, blooders. Letter believers, and they didn't want to hear. They weren't going to want to hear any of that. Well, see, so, that's uh, the you, whole problem, Carter. There's two groups or more uh, when it comes to Bigfoot. Even Ron Moorhead has changed mm-hmm. his philosophy in the last couple of years. What mm-hmm. he thinks they are. I mean, a, again, you got you know. I've had a couple scientists, you know, uh, that specialize in Bigfoot. You know, there's one. 
I God, I can't think of his name. He was just on it two weeks ago that he is known for all these big footprints, uh, you know, uh, footprints he's cast. And again, there is something there. I'm hoping that the cost of doing DNA gets cheaper and cheaper because, you know, I was asking him, could we get proof of, of these creatures if we could collect, you know, the DNA mm-hmm. and, and, you know, their footprints? If it's a fresh footprint, there's got to be DNA there. And it was Jeff uh, uh, Mel- uh Meldrum. Meldrum. Yeah, he was on. Oh, Jeff. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Well, now they're doing DNA. They're getting uh, DNA from uh, pond water and just the air in a forest. They're, they've got technology now where they're discovering uh, creatures or proving that certain creatures that are rumored to be uh extinct or still alive in certain, you know, hard to find, hard to reach forest areas all over the world by taking DNA from water and from the air, analyzing the air uh, molecules and the water molecules and, and coming up with the DNA. They can identify all the different species of fish and everything else and something that's drinking from the water. There's saliva that's in the water. They can identify creatures uh, that way. So the technology is is getting there. We're just probably not there yet, but we're getting there. And, uh, you know, most DNA studies that, of course, you know, no science will not, you know, verify this, but most of the DNA studies comes back with 50% uh, human female and 50% unknown hominid. And so... There's no type specimen, so we have nothing to compare it to. But, you too, I was talking to somebody who worked in a lab, and I asked him this question. I said, you know, you know, if you come up with this information, why don't you go out and, and on a limb? And he goes, my reputation would be totally mm-hmm. gone. So I'm not going to say, even if I have proof that maybe a Bigfoot does exist, I'm mm-hmm. not going to come out and say, yes, you know, there's a good chance it, it was a Bigfoot because he was worried about his reputation and his career. Yeah, his, his tenure, his, his, his 401K, everything, you know, and, and that's, that's the problem. You know, and uh, I, I'm just watching something tonight, as a matter of fact. But, you know, uh, we put law enforcement puts in the court systems, put so much uh, money on eyewitness testimony. But as far as solving crimes, but we do not put any stock in eyewitness testimony when it comes to UFOs or Sasquatch. Why is that? What is it that they're wanting to save and keep secret? What is it they think is going to be so devastating that they want to keep it from us at all costs? Well, yeah, something is up, too, because I'm going to go back to mentioning Christopher George. I need to get him back on the show. But, you know, there is things he saw, you know, like a, a ranger went missing. And when they found the remains, it was flat as a basically as paper. No blood. The the bones were just crushed, and and the flesh was just gone. What could have done that? And then there's uh, there was a ranger who was in the lookout tower, and you know the lookout towers they have cages around for bears can't get in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got your in, uh, enclosure 
where you'd go up the stairs so bears can't come in. Then you got a secondary one as you go up for nobody can get in that you lock from the top side. And then you have your one when you go into the lookout tower. So you mm-hmm. got all this redundance of security measures. And mm-hmm. there was a ranger that they were talking, doing his reporting, and all of a sudden, a couple of days go by, they don't hear from him. So they went out and to investigate. Now, the gate was all closed. It was locked. The secondary was locked. Locked from the top, not from the bottom. The going into the tower was locked. Okay, from the inside. Yep. But there was no ranger. And, and and no sign where he could have jumped off and, you know, unless he jumped off and some critter drug his body. That, But it was like he vanished. And, mm-hmm. and that was one of them. The other one, there was an automobile accident. So they closed off the road. And him and another ranger got out of their pickup truck to, you know, close off the road. And they were on the passenger side. And he said, they looked on the window they saw a hideous-looking monster of a reflection. So they put their hands to, you know, grab their guns. They turned mm-hmm. around. It was nothing there. Yep. The, there's things out there. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it ties yep. into Bigfoot, or maybe Bigfoot had the ability to project this stuff into people's minds. I don't know, but it's kind of eerie. Yeah. It is, and I, I, I am firmly convinced that the, the government knows exactly what's going on. They're playing stupid, but I, I think they know, and I think they're either trying to monetize the technology that these beings may have or harness the uh, defense power or you know, for uh, military purposes if they do possess those type of powers or whoever or whatever it is that's coming and going from dimension to dimension, appearing and disappearing, taking the people and you never see them again, you know, and that goes back to the, uh, you know, missing 411, all that stuff, you know, you know, if you overlay the Sasquatch sightings map and you put the map of the cave systems and another map of the people that have disappeared, they are remarkably identical. They are very, very. They overlay. Similar. They overlay on each they other. They overlay. Yeah, I mean, it's unmistakable. And so, you know, then it gets into the theory of you know the ETs uh, living and operating uh, below the oceans and the cave systems, uh, the tunnels that allegedly exist, the Dulce and all that stuff. You know, uh, there could be a, an entire uh, secondary ecosystem below our land and we have no knowledge of it that is a possibility but you know i I, carter too because our time is almost up i remember talking to somebody a couple years ago again this was in western washington up by blaine washington Mm -hmm. by the border and they like going deep in the woods and for hunting and other things and it was an area that was noted for bigfoot So they Mm -hmm. were always keeping their eyes open for Bigfoot, and they're tromping around, and all of a sudden they were surrounded by military. Yeah. And said, you need to leave this area. And they started arguing, well, wait a minute, this is 
public land. No, you have to leave this area now. And they were they were threatened with lethal yeah. if they didn't leave mm-hmm. in, leave that area. So it yeah. makes you wonder, you know, maybe Bigfoot or something in that area. Maybe the military is doing something. I don't know. This is another thing, too. It's kind of strange because Christopher George, again, said the same thing. He was out in the woods, you know, with another ranger investigating something, and he ran across military. Military he didn't recognize, but they were carrying weapons. And again, he was told, well, you got to leave this area. We're investigating something. He goes, what? I have jurisdiction. You know, I'm a a forestry ranger, you know, uh, law enforcement. I have jurisdiction. No, you don't. This is a military operation. Yeah. And again, he's, Get out of here. he was threatened if he didn't leave, he could end up in a body bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if you got two seconds here, I, I last week a gentleman contacted me. He's former military. Uh, he had to retire due to a uh, an injury, and now he works for the uh, Homeland Security. He had seen... And I went to his home. It wasn't that far from me here, and in, 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 I live in Liberty, Missouri, Kansas City. And it wasn't that far, about you know, 25 miles from me. And he got me off of a, a, a talk show I had done here about a month ago. He has seen, with other witnesses, military witnesses, a predator-type, glimmering, shimmering creature walking through the woods. It was a Sasquatch or a Sasquatch, a, a, a large humanoid shape, and he watched it go from tree, up a tree, back down a tree. You ever heard of that video, Squatching with Gabby and Barb? Mm-hmm. Uh, where they, Yeah, it was the same thing. And this guy, he's military, and they're very good witnesses, as you know. They're, they're, they're no nonsense, just the facts, ma'am. And he's looking me in the eye, and he's telling me that he's waiting for me to start cracking up and laughing or ridiculing him or something. I'm going, keep going, keep, keep telling me. And he described this event and it was the same thing. This didn't happen. His commanding officer said, you know, it was him and and another guy and uh, one commanding officer and said that this didn't happen. We didn't see this. You say nothing of it. I'll fill out the report just like that. And he was waiting for me to, to go, well, come on, you had to have been, you know, seeing something else. I mean, we were on a military operation where they, you know, messing with cloaking technology to see if you were going to be paying attention to it or see it or what were you going to think of it or says, no, no, nobody knew what this was. We were out doing something else entirely different. So that stuff happens and we just don't hear about it. And I was lucky enough to get a phone call for it, you know, and I've been out to his property and he's got stuff going on on his property here in Missouri. And this happened somewhere else entirely. But this is a trained military guy who's telling you this. What, what do you what do you do to that? And he, you know, uh, he doesn't want his name, uh, identity, anything. Uh, you know, leave my wife and kids out of this. I just want to tell you this because it freaked me out. And I'm, I'm looking at you, and he's wanting me to explain what he saw. And I, I say I I can't explain it other than I believe the technology is there that these creatures may possess this type of technology somehow, or it's a skill, maybe not technology. It's a skill set. I can't tell you, but I can tell you I've heard this many, many times, and you're not alone. Yeah, it was quite relieved. Yeah, especially the cloaking, but, the cloaking thing, because I heard that too from 
yeah. my friend, too, that, you know, these creatures, other uh, rangers seen these things in trees and stuff cloaking, kind of like the Predator movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly how he described it, you know? And it was it was kind of shimmering, and it was walking. It was walking uh, just as though it was, it was taking a stroll, and then it suddenly realized uh, their presence. And he was speculating, he said, maybe it didn't know we were there because it was in between dimensions, and it was just in a transitional type thing. He was trying to analyze it himself, and he, he, he kept talking himself out of it. Well, that's crazy. That can't be. You know, see, he, he would go into explaining what it was, and then he would stop himself because, well, no, that can't be. That's, that's just preposterous. And I said, well, no, it's not. But you saw it. What, what about that is preposterous? You saw it. You're a military-trained individual. You saw it. You can't explain it. Your commanding officer told you to shut up. It never happened. That tells you all you need to know right there. Yeah, you know, he didn't happened. tell him that you didn't see it. He just said, this didn't happen. I mean, he couldn't argue because he saw it too. You're right. Now, uh, what do you want? Anything, your website, books, anything you want to promote? Now's the time to do it. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I've got uh, I've got two books, Sasquatch of an uh, Enigma, one and two. Uh, book two is actually being released. In fact, it gets to me uh, Sunday. It will be delivered Sunday by FedEx. Anyway, uh, com. R-E-L-I-C-H-O-M-I-N-I-D.com. Uh, I, these are my color books. Uh, I, I autograph them all. I mail them from my house. Uh, I have a book deal with Beyond the Freight Publishing, and so they are doing black and white versions on Amazon. They're doing the Kindle, uh, uh, books on tape, and uh, the black and white print version. Uh, so I'm doing the color version out of my house like I have always. And so uh, www.relichominate.com or go to uh, Amazon and look up Sasquatch Evans of an Enigma Books 1 and 2. And uh, that's how you get a hold of me. Well, great. Hey, Carter, I want to thank you for coming on. And hopefully you can get your microphone fixed. Oh, yeah, it's a brand new Sherpa. I'm I'm not sure what happened here. You know, uh, it's worked on other Skype shows, but you guys, there's static. I'm not sure what happened. So I'll have to get somebody over here who's a whole lot smarter than me and get this all figured out. But uh, this didn't work out too bad. Well, maybe the ETs did it, Carter. It could be. It, it could, could be. yeah. Well, you have a great weekend, <laughs> will you? You too, Gary. I appreciate the time. And Let's keep in touch. Yeah, keep in touch, will you? Okay. Okay, my friend, you take care. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Well, everybody, Thomas will be on tomorrow. That's right. We're going to be on Saturdays for an hour. And Thomas will be on at 6 p.m. Pacific West Coast time, 9 p.m., uh, Eastern time, he's going to have a great guest talking about UFOs tomorrow. So don't miss it. Again, you can find us, uh, you can actually find him on YouTube also, and you'll find him on all the apps tomorrow. So it's, it's going to be a big enhancement to the show. And like always, we're going to be on Tuesday to Friday, and, uh, then we added Saturday. Later on, we're adding a Sunday show also. And after Thomas is over, we're going to run a couple hours of the best of Night Dreams Talk Radio. Well, till tomorrow, make sure you tune in. Tell your friends. If you haven't hit the like button on YouTube, do it. If you haven't subscribed, 
please do. It's very important. And if you're listening to us on Apple or TuneIn, make sure you hit the like with that, too. That's very important. A lot of people forget about it. They listen to the show, but they don't ever give a review. Please do that. It's important. Well, till uh, tomorrow night at 6 p.m., everybody have a good one. We'll catch you on the other side of the campground tomorrow night. Just that simple kind of friend I'm on the dark side